So much of logic and understanding is, is creativity and empathy. And honestly, that's why like, I'm really excited about this book project too, is because reading is so important for developing empathy. And that is so important for being able to put yourself in different positions and consider all perspectives. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. So Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell their story. Each week we have conversations with great guests, including policymakers, language warriors, storytellers, and we're hearing about their gifts, how they realized those, and how they are now sharing those gifts with their community. That and a lot more, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great time. So what's happening, sis? Yo, I just... I'm having a lot of thoughts. You know, it's it's the springtime. It's that uh, new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, time to time to get to work. <laughs> and I, you know, I really want to express my gratitude for all these folks that we've had on our show and all the folks yet to come on the show. Definitely. And of course, you at home mm-hmm. <laughs> listening, or you listening. Uh, to the program. You know, this is why we do it. Yeah. Connecting and celebrating and lifting up. So I, I just want to take a moment to express my gratitude. For oh, that. yeah, definitely. And I encourage the listeners to, um, you know, send, you know, reach out if they have any, you know, thoughts or ideas or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yes. If any suggestions for guests, even, you know, a self nomination. That's fine. And uh, yeah, nativelights at ampers.org. We're looking for folks. We we think we do a pretty good job. Uh, but more heads are, no, more heads are better than two. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, what's new with you, Cole? Not a whole lot, except for at the time of this recording, I am about to take the vaccine the following day. And well, so... Um, you know, excited for that, driving a couple hours to get it. Oh, where are you going? Up in Hinkley. Oh, it's through our tribe. Yeah, so huh? me and Bryce, our brother, is uh, going to be doing that, and we'll be meeting up with, with Dad for a quick quick bite to eat, safe bite to eat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's already fully vaccinated, so um, there's that. At that's least. right. But yeah, that's fun. Uh, so the listeners will be able to hear the update for the next show, so... Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm grateful that you're getting the vaccine. I'm grateful I'm getting the vaccine. Um, And dad and our elders and healthcare workers, teachers, all, you know, and and it's rolling out. We got more uh, vaccine options on Mm. the way and all that good stuff. So, you know what? The beginning of this conversation should just be, why are we grateful? (laughs) (laughs) So today's guest on the program is an author, and she wrote a book called Peggy Flanagan, Ogamakwe, Lieutenant Governor, as a part of the Minnesota Native American Live series. Uh, her name is Jessica Engelking, and Jessica Engelking is a descendant of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe, so she's Anishinaabe Kwe, mm-hmm. and she's also a research and fundraising director at 
the Great Plains Action Society. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I had actually never heard of that organization before, you know, looking into uh, the cool stuff that Jessica does. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to asking her about that. We'll, we'll start with asking her about that. Definitely. And then talk more about the book. And we'll have a little special guest uh, midway through here. <laughs> yeah, I know about the special guest and I can't wait. <laughs> because these books, uh, the Native American Lives series is a partnership between the Minnesota Humanities Center and the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. And those books are geared towards the younger reader. So, you know, we might have a younger reader make a quick appearance. <laughs> That's a little hint for you. <laughs> yes, that is. Oh, Jessica's here. Hi. Who's you? Awesome. Well, I'm Leah. Nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for uh, taking some time to talk today. And here's Mr. Cole Primo. Hi, Cole. Hi. Oh, I also thank you. <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> and we're, we're siblings, so if you hear us reference that, you'll understand why. <laughs> Can you just please start by introducing yourself and where you're joining us from? Uh, I'm Ian, Jessica, Indigenous Cause. Um, I'm a descendant of the White Earth Ojibwe, and I am joining you guys from Minnetonka today. And also uh, she, her pronouns. Sounds good. So I hadn't heard of the Great Plains Action Society. I mean, I've just kind of recently uh, been made familiar with it. And I looked it up, and I'm super intrigued. And we definitely want to talk about your writing and the recent book. But before we get to that, can you tell us more about the Great Plains Action Society and your role there? Yeah, we are a collective of um, Indigenous organizers and activists. Um, we all kind of came together to um, uplift each other's work and, you know, acknowledge that we're, we're stronger working together. Um, it started out as an organization called Indigenous Iowa, but um, we wanted to get away from the colonial uh, names <laughs> and uh, geographic borders, so uh, we moved it to the Great Plains Action Society. Um, my friend Sakawis, uh, Christine Nobis, started it after her time at Standing Rock. So it is, in a way, a Standing Rock baby. And, um, yeah, doing a lot of environmental work, um, a lot of work on um, DAPL and KXL going on in that region. So a lot of pipeline work, a lot of focus on um, the damages of agribusiness. Iowa has just been so drastically changed um, in terms of its biodiversity. and the land there is basically ruined and we're trying to do what we can to to protect that and protect the waters from the the farm runoff. It's been great because we all have freedom to kind of do our own thing. Um, so one of my coworkers is doing a lot of work on MMIW stuff and COVID stuff in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, we're heavily involved with the Des Moines mutual aid work. Mm. So Jessica, what are you working on now? Right now, my my next project, I am working on developing a logic course for uh, natives who want to go to law school. Oh, wow. So my, my academic background is in philosophy, and I did teach logic at the college level for a few years. Oh. And I kept hearing so many people being like, I want to go to law school, I want to go to law school. And I'm like, well, you're going to need to know this information and have these skills um, to succeed on the LSAT. So I'm working on developing a course for Native people um, to take those reasoning skills and kind of turn them around and create them into skills for decolonization. 
Nice, because oh. the LSAT's the the big test you take to get into law school. Mm-hmm. I hope to have um, going by the summer. So if people are in class, they can take this after after they're done with their semester. And also kind of trying to um, find more ways to incorporate Native stuff into it. Um, so looking at more uh, specifically Indigenous-focused arguments and and just trying to find parallels where I can. And trying to think about how to like relate abstraction to like beating. And so you have like the pattern and like the colors don't matter. You can still have this pattern, right? With different colors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Trying to find stuff that people can relate to to understand more difficult and abstract concepts. Trying to show people you know, why having these critical reasoning thinking skills matter. And also like trying to show that it it is relevant to your, um, you know, your daily life. Logic is a kind of a big part of being a lawyer or at least studying law. Yeah, it's great. I, um, you know, I have this, this background in this education and I felt yeah. like I wasn't reading it. And then I just like, you know, within the course of like, just, you know, a couple of days heard so many natives say, you know, I'm going to go to law school, I'm going to go to law school. And I'm like, all right, you know what? This is something I can help with. So mm. it's really great that my organization allows me the freedom to do that. And to just realize, you know, how decolonization takes so many forms. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just going to quick read the mission statement of Great Plains Action. We are indigenous peoples of the Great Plains proactively working to resist and indigenize colonial capitalist institutions and behaviors. We defend the land where our ancestors lie and where the children walk. Our goal is to reclaim what has been stolen and oppressed to create a better world for us all. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Christine and I both uh, did grad school at the University okay. of Iowa. And so we occasionally commiserate on our writing getting a little too academic. But <laughs> it, like, what we do. Well, I was just curious. Uh, you're the social media manager for that organization? Yeah, I I was. Oh, okay. I mean, in the beginning, it was... <laughs> In the beginning, it was kind of like people just stepped up and did what needed to be done. Gotcha. But I, I don't particularly care for interacting <laughs> on social media. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> like, and a lot of it is like there's just so many bad arguments out there. I just get overwhelmed and like don't have the time to deal with people. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, Jessica. Thank you for bringing that up. So logic is something you value, it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, if you want to teach it. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with social media and the uh, spectrum of logic spectrum. that is represented in social media? I mean, I tend to stay out of the comments for my own mental well-being. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gets yeah. ugly in there. Um, you know, there, there are just a lot of lost cases where people are just trying to twist and justify, like, actual hatred. But then there are cases mm-hmm. where people are good intended but their reasoning is off and so trying to reach out to those people and then just encourage them to think about things from a different perspective and I think that's one reason that like Native people in particular are actually really good at logic is because you know we we exist in the world in in these different ways and spaces and so we see things from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. 
Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're hearing from Jessica Engelking. Uh, we just heard a bit about her work with the Great Plains Action Society, and she is also an author. So let's hear more about her writing. Yeah, so Jessica, uh, before uh, before we talk about your recent book specifically, how did you get into writing in the first place? Um, I ca- I saw a call for submissions for this project. <laughs> I just submitted <laughs> at the last second. Um, so much of the writing I've done in the past is very just academic and dry. <laughs> um, I did I did have a wonderful opportunity to work with kids for a while through the Division of Indian Works. Hmm. I worked with their Agandasada program, so as a reading coach. Cool. So getting to read with kids, little Native kids, is the best job ever. Um, and so I, I really wanted to do something for them, you know, since I'm not working, you know, directly with the youth anymore. I wanted to be able to to give them something and and yeah, I just, I didn't actually think they would pick me. <laughs> Why not? You know? Like, well, you talked about enjoying working with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a special guest um, who is going to read the back cover of your book. And he's also going to ask you a quick question at the end. It is awesome. my, my seven-year-old son, Marvin. Uh, uh-huh. So a little Indian kid for you to hear from here <laughs> in this clip. Peggy Flanagan is the Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota. This is the second highest office in the state. She is the first Native woman to hold such a high elected statewide office in the United States. Her whole life, she knew that the school system doesn't tell American Indian stories in a true way. Peggy is working hard to change how Native people's stories are told and and to make a life better for all Minnesotans. Her story is a Minnesota Native American life. Do you have a question for the author? Why, why did you choose this story? <laughs> so that was uh, Mr. Marvin, my kid, seven years old. And uh, yeah, why did you choose our lieutenant governor as the topic for the book? I mean, honestly, it just seemed really obvious <laughs> for all the reasons that they went through on the back of the book. I mean, she's just been an inspiration and has spent her career, you know, working to make things um, better for Native people and especially Native children. And she also has worked for the Division of Indian Work. And um, I also worked with uh, CDF, which she was um, in charge of for a while. So I've kind of tangentially been around her career. (laughs) And so it just, I mean, if we're going to be talking about, you know, inspiring Native Minnesotans. She just was the first person I thought of. Very good. Very good. So what were some interesting things you learned, you know, writing the book and researching Lieutenant Governor Flanagan? Um, just how much she got done. (laughs) That was, I mean, that was kind of the, the harder, one of the harder parts of putting the book together was she she just accomplished so much so quickly. Yeah. It's like it was exhausting reading about all the stuff she did. <laughs> I can't imagine doing it. Yeah, it's almost like her superpower, it seems. Like 
uh, you know, I look at how I spend my time and then I notice how much, you know, maybe some other folks get done. Uh, and I'm like, you know, maybe I shouldn't watch that extra episode of Bridgerton this week or something like that. <laughs> like maybe I should uh, get to work <laughs> a little more. I don't know. So yeah, it is inspiring. What What's it like hearing, you know, Marvin or, you know, hearing a young person read your story? It's great. I mean, I don't know. I kind of tend to distance myself from my own writing. So like I do it and it's out there and it's like, almost not mine anymore. It's mm-hmm. like it belongs to the world. So I don't personally like, you know, that's my book, but I think it's so great that they're hearing those stories and that they're having those role models from such a young age. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, living contemporary role models, you know, because like, I don't know, look, books we had as a kid, that was always like set in the past, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and to have a story that is that is happening now that the kids can see, um, I think is just it's so great that they have that. Well, you talked about usually writing, as you said, drier uh, <laughs> pieces. I'm sure you had to kind of change up your style. And what does it take to write for a younger reader? Yeah, that was really hard for me, too, because I was a really good reader at a really young age. So I don't really have, I mean, I do from working with kids kind of have a sense of, you know, different grade levels and such, but like personally to draw, <laughs> I just like, I can't remember not reading at an adult level since age. <laughs> and also I didn't want to, I didn't want to dumb anything down, but I think the key is to not dumb things down emotionally, but you can find clearer words to say that. And that was the challenge. And also, like, a lot of credit to my editors. Um, I was doing a lot of work in philosophy of time before I left academia. And so these sentences (laughs) that seem coherent to me (laughs) don't really make sense to other people because my verb tenses are all over the place. Uh. And so they had a lot of work to do there. But (laughs) What is time, anyway? (laughs) Really? I know, right? I know, but like, you know, kind of things would collapse into a present. Like, they will have been having stuff. <laughs> you know? Yes. They have had, had, like. They will have had, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. It's like everything is like in some eternal now. <laughs> <laughs> eternal now. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would think. You you touched on this a bit, that writing for a younger audience requires a deep understanding plus a way to explain things simply. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that word choice, it it can be more difficult. Mm -hmm. I would like to say I I live with my sister and my niece, and my niece did help me with some of the the word choice. I would would call her over and be like, does this... This word makes sense to you, <laughs> and she would, she would weigh in. So, you know. And I, I guess I just had another question about you know just your workflow with the book. Um, did you do like a outline? Like, just curious how you initially approached the project. Yeah, I tend to keep outlining and researching until I am forced to not outline and research anymore. That it's one thing. It's an academic hangover. Is I never feel like I've done researching so there's yeah. always something you know there's an article to read or like 
unfortunately, in this case, um, uh, Peggy had some good uh, like TED Talk and video stuff and speeches that I could watch. Yeah. Uh, and so. Did you yeah. spend some time interviewing her, I take it? I did get to meet her. No, it was nice. I got to go to the Capitol and and talk with her for a little bit. I had met her before um, when I was working for Freedom School. I think she did a one of the morning read-alongs. Yeah. Oh, fun! And so I got to meet her then. Um, and I, I went to to college with her ex-husband, so I've always like seen like pictures of her kid. Like, over oh there. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're hearing from Jessica Engelking, author of the recent book, Peggy Flanagan, Ogemakwe, Lieutenant Governor, which is part of the Minnesota Native American Live series, a partnership between the Minnesota Humanities Center and the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. So, I mean, you studied philosophy. Mm-hmm. How, what was that like as an Indigenous person? Very, very, very lonely. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, I, I fortunately, the, the people I was around, you know, though almost exclusively white, you know, they were, they were good people. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it was really just like, I'm on my own. But yeah, I did my undergrad at the University of Minnesota Morris, which is great because they have the Native American tuition wa- waiver program. So if you're Native, go to Morris for free. It's awesome. I thought I wanted to go into academia, but then kind of being in it and and the nature of academia itself was changing <laughs> while I was in grad school. So the the shift from um, tenured positions to these little one year positions <laughs> with no job stability um, to save money um, that that lifestyle I didn't find appealing. Sure. And academia, I thought it it became more about making money than about education and I just Mm. didn't feel myself being a part of that and I didn't want to spend my whole career being tokenized (laughs) like having everyone be like oh you know you got your job (laughs) and it's like because I'm better than you (laughs) (laughs) but but it never does get to be because you're better it's always because you know you get special stuff because you're native that's not true uh well and now with your work at Um, the Great Plains Action Society, with that idea of indigenizing colonial capitalist institutions and behaviors, Mm -hmm. those aspects are so wrapped into academia. Yeah. I I, I decided to just leave that one instead of indigenizing it. I don't know, academia might be a lost cause. But, you know, educating and reaching, you know, our youth and our people is, is very much a live option. And I'm... I'm happy about it. Yeah. And like what you said, like through creating literature mm-hmm. uh, and all these different ways of reaching uh, Native youth and Native people um, in a way that's culturally relevant and mm-hmm. uh, authentic uh, is is a big step. Yeah. And I think it's also important that we talk about how much Indigenous knowledge is dismissed and how harmful that is. You know, every so often you see a study that's like, scientists prove something that Native Americans have been saying for 10,000 years. <laughs> yep. like, oh, well. You know, and, and that does have dire consequences. Like if you look what happened in California when they weren't 
you know, properly maintaining their forests. And, you know, but this is stuff indigenous people know. We know how to cultivate the forest. We we did it for for so long. And then people show up and they're like, wow, look at this beautiful, untamed wilderness. And it's like, it's not you know, right. This is yep. this is land that is is honored and taken care of. Yeah, and I got to talk with a firefighter who was a part of the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, crew this past year fighting fires in South Dakota and Colorado. And we had a great conversation about the need to respect fire as a tool, as a spirit, as a spirit to respect and not suppress at every opportunity. So there's a place for controlled burns, which our ancestors, our ancestors of this land, have used and understood as a necessary part of the environment cycle. You know, there's a way to embrace fire, which I thought was very lovely. Um, and that indigenous knowledge that's just carried and shared, um, that's been ignored um, or denied. So I love it when I see like a post or something on social media where there's some shared native knowledge mm -hmm. and somebody will comment, where's your source for this? Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll see a comment later, like uh, <laughs> me, like the person posting it <laughs> as an indigenous person. So, yeah. yeah. And that's not to say that we don't need sources for our knowledge, but to say that we mm -hmm. are, ourselves sources you know that, mm -hmm. that our lived experiences do matter and that the knowledge that you know we've been gifted is ours and and it has authority in itself cool well thank you so much jessica yeah, for taking time to chat yeah, thank you guys and um yeah check out um the work we're doing over at the great plains action society it's a lot of good people um, doing a lot of good work. Awesome. And yes. I really appreciate you guys having me on to talk about the book. Yeah, for sure. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Okay, take care, Jessica. Okay. She was lovely. Yeah. I really enjoyed meeting her. Yeah, definitely. I really liked her uh, take on logic and uh, using logic as a tool and also moving forward with decolonizing and indigenizing as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So being able to get into law school and using logic and then at the same time with the goal of indigenizing and decolonizing. That's a big undertaking, mm -hmm. but got to start somewhere. Yeah, definitely. And I liked her, you know, just talking about the more dry things that she's had to write and just tailoring your writing to a specific audience and just her insight on that was great to hear. Thank you to Jessica Engelking. Yeah. Jessica Engelking works at Great Plains Action Society and is an author whose book about Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan is out in the world now as a part of the Minnesota Native American Live series. The title of the book is Peggy Flanagan, Ogmakwe, Lieutenant Governor. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Giga 
Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine wherever you find podcasts and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.